Thank you. Oh man, fantastic. Well, it is great to be uh, speaking this morning. Uh, first time speaking here. Um, yeah, I'm sure some of you are wondering who on earth I am. Um, yeah, uh, there's a lot of people here I know fairly well. There's a lot of people I don't know. Um, so just by way of introduction, let me just say good morning. Welcome to Redeemer King, but also a little bit about who I am. Um, I always grew up going to church. Um, oh dear, wow. <laughs> what has happened? Fantastic stop. So I always I grew up going to church with my family, my two parents. I got two older sisters, uh, twin sisters, so that was fun. Um, oh wow. <laughs> dear me, this is not good. Bad start. Oh no. Oh well. Yeah, so I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. Um, I, I knew everything I needed to know about about God, about Jesus, about Christianity. And for me, I was living a life um, of two parts, really. I had my church life and my non-church life. Some of you may be able to relate to that. And uh, it came to a stage where I had to really decide whether I was going to be all in uh, for God or, or not. And that was a very real decision for me. It wasn't something I took lightly. I, I could have very easily, I think, walked away from it um, at that moment when I was deciding. But thankfully, uh, I thank God that I made a decision to follow him all in. And what that led to was quite an amazing few years. Um, I'm 21 now. And uh, I, I finished college and I, uh, I, I had this year out planned and I was going to do what everyone does on a year out and go traveling. Um, but that didn't quite happen. Instead, I started an internship uh, with CVM, Christian Vision for Men, who some of you all know about, um, as an intern, just like Joe's done this past year. And that one year led into two years. Um, and then from there, it kind of changed my perspective on what I wanted to do with my life. And I've ended up at, at Bible College, Cliff College, just up the road. Um, I'm doing a, a degree in theology, which is interesting because I'm not very academic. Uh, so that's quite funny. Um, but yeah, it seems to have gone well the first year. I survived and I passed, so that's good. But it's a privilege to be speaking this morning, it really is. I, I love this summer series, um, Heroic Faith. I, I love character studies. I love uh, autobiographies, biographies. I've been watching the Olympics and I've been thinking, wow, think how many autobiographies are about to come out after all this. Um, I remember reading Andy Murray's autobiography after he won Wimbledon for the first time. and I love the detail that you can get when they explain these moments of um, of just great achievement, isn't it? And and they explain their feelings that you can't understand, but you can read off the paper. And, and I remember reading that, if you can remember the first time Andy Murray won Wimbledon, he said in his autobiography that he he got to 40 love and he had three match points. And he said he was fine, he was numb. He felt numb all the way through going up to 40 love. And he had these three match points. And he stepped up to serve his first match point. And it was at that moment he felt his hand shaking. And I was like, wow, that's such amazing detail that he's been able to put in this book. And that I've just read and I just can't quite relate to that. But I was fascinated by uh, autobiographies, biographies and character studies. And so this series is fascinating to me. And I'm delighted to be able to share on an individual as well and speak about these great feats, historic achievements, and things that we just see happening in the Bible through individuals. And it's fair to say, isn't it, that all these characters that we've heard of so far have definitely got one thing in common, I think, and that is that there's one thing that captivated their hearts, and their desire to follow God was more 
apparent than anything else, I think. I, I see it as uh, their lives being um, transformed by this one desire to chase after God more than anything else. And that's so true for the character we're looking at this morning. Uh, his name is Elisha. Uh, some of you will have heard of him. Some of you won't have heard of him. And some of you will be thinking of Elijah when I said Elisha. They are very, two very different people. Um, and I just need to clarify something this morning because I will be saying the words Elijah and the word Elisha a lot. And I don't speak very clearly. I've had that said to me a lot. So just bear with me with that. Um, the way it went in terms of the order of the prophets for Israel, God's people, it went Elijah and then Elisha. And this morning we're looking at the early stages of Elisha, so the, the overlap between Elijah and Elisha. And so there's confusion there already, but we're going to bear with him. We're going to see how it goes, because I'm excited. Because actually in the Bible, this overlap provides us with some fascinating dialogue, uh, which I'm so excited to share about uh, with you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn to Kings, First Kings. It's kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. Um, I have also sent all the verses through to tech team. It will be appearing behind me because there is quite a lot of scripture we're going to get through this morning. So do just have a look up there if you haven't got a Bible with you um, as well. To explain then where we're going to be joining the story, because sometimes it can be confusing, can't it, when we parachute in uh, without much background information. Elijah is God's main man at the moment. He's God's prophet. He's God's spokesperson to the people of Israel. Uh, and he's been doing some cool stuff. We won't talk too much about him. Ask Dan about him. He named his son Elijah. So you can ask him about that. Um, but we join the story with God uh, speaking to Elijah. Um, and we have the first mention of Elisha. Um, and we join the story, 1 Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 15. The Lord said to him, speaking to Elijah, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi over, uh, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Maholah to succeed you as prophet. And then jumping forward slightly, we read 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found... Sorry, done it already? Oh, dear. Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, where he was plowing with his twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burnt the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So here we have the first mention of Elisha in the Bible. And Elijah, God's prophet, he has been doing some amazing miracles, which we'll look into another time. God speaks to him and he says, go, to, uh, go and do the, this stuff. And one of the things is, go and find Elisha and anoint him uh, as the next prophet. He will be my next prophet. He tells this to Elijah. 
And what's fascinating, and the thing I want to focus on in this little passage is the fact that uh, in verse 19, the first thing Elijah does after being told to go and anoint Elisha is he throws his cloak around Elisha, and that's it. I, I was staggered at, at first, actually. Like, that was really it. Like, I thought, God's just told Elijah, this prophet, to go and anoint Elisha. And I, I'm thinking, oh, here comes the blood. Here comes, here comes the sprinkling of water. Here comes uh, this huge dedication ceremony. This is, this is going to be a big deal. Surely this must be a big deal. And, uh, and what's interesting is I was looking into this and reading up before I came to preach. And, and uh, scholars reckon that that might have happened. There may have been a dedication ceremony, which, which was cool. That's, that's cool. But then it struck me that actually what, what that means is the, the author of Kings, uh, First Kings, who was inspired by God, didn't think it worthwhile to include any kind of dedication ceremony, any kind of uh, sprinkling of blood, water, whatever they might have used to make this official. Instead, the author of this book that was inspired by God was in fact, the thing, the thing that he chose to put in was that Elijah walked up to this farm boy named Elisha and threw his cloak around his shoulders, and that was it. That's all he did. I was in Austria um, a few months back, and we were out there on a mission trip, and uh, we were playing football and sharing the gospel after, after each game. It was a great trip. Um, Dan, Dan wants to come next year. I think he's going to come. Um, but part of what we were, we were there, we were staying at a Bible college there, and um, there was a lecture series on at the time, and it was on the life of Elisha. Uh, and th that's what made me so excited to share about Elisha this morning, because this, this lecturer, Steve, he was a, he was a brilliant communicator. He, he was from Canada, and uh, every lecture, he would start it in exactly the same way. He would, he would start by saying, uh, hello, good morning, this is where we're up to, but let's pause Let's stop one moment and remind ourselves that we're in the ancient Far East, which is where Elisha and Elijah are at the moment. And this is what he would do. He'd stop and he's like, we're in the ancient Far East where a symbol is a sermon. Every single lecture he would start that way. He would say, in the ancient Far East, a symbol is a sermon. And uh, at first I was slightly confused what he meant by that, but then it became clear and I was staggered by this one thing, and it's the, probably the thing that I've taken away from most from the, the mission trip while we were out there, is that in the ancient Far East, a symbol is a sermon. And what he meant by that was, for the nations of uh, the ancient Far East, and for the Israelites, and for all the people of that time, they wouldn't have... Uh, Elijah come and just preach to them all. They wouldn't have that. It wouldn't be like a Sunday morning services here. Um, news would travel fast. And um, the best way for news to travel would be in just symbols, simple acts. And so for Elijah to go up to this, plow this uh, farm boy who's plowing, doing his job, and place his cloak around his shoulders is really significant. It's a symbol, but in fact, to the ancient Far East, it's a sermon. It is a, our equivalent of a sermon. He is preaching to the, to the nations of the ancient Far East that Elisha will be the next prophet. He is God's next chosen person 
to, to uh, speak on God's behalf, this is a big deal. So rather than it being uh, just a sham of, a, an, of an anointment, it's actually this huge deal that um, Elijah is just actually saying, saying to Elisha, you are God's next, next person. Um, but it's more than that as well because you have this amazing, Im- amazing imagery, don't you, of Elijah coming up to Elisha and placing his cloak over the shoulders of Elisha. And, uh, and it's, it's striking, isn't it, because he's basically saying, you know what, you're, you're under my wing now. This is, this is it. You're, 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 you're anointed, but more than that, you're under my wing. You are going to learn from me uh, everything I know. I'm going to teach you right now. And that's a really big deal, I think. Elisha effectively becomes, I, I like this, he, he effectively becomes intern or apprentice to the greatest teacher of the time. Um, and uh, <laughs> it struck me because it, it made me ask a question as well, this passage, because God effectively taps him on the shoulder. He taps Elisha on the shoulder and says, let's go, let's do this. Let's go. And yes, there's some hesitation. He goes back and says goodbye, and Elijah's response is quite funny, isn't it? He says, really, why, why would you go back? Um, but he does. He goes back, and we'll not look into that too much, but what's fascinating is he's tapped on the shoulder by God, and he hesitates, yes, but actually he still he drops everything, like 100% all in. He drops everything. He slaughters his animals and burns his equipment. He didn't hold back. He literally burnt everything he owned, cooked all the food, and had like a feast, and was like, see you later. And he went, didn't he? Sorry, that was a a reference to something. Half of you won't have known what that was. Um, (laughs) And he just went, didn't he? It was fascinating. I I just struck by his, uh, his, his commitment to go all in when God tapped him on the shoulder. It really challenged me to think, wow. What is it in my life that, that, that actually God's tapping me on the shoulder and I just need to burn to go all in? Because that's what Elisha did. God tapped him on the shoulder and he saw the things that were holding him back. His job, his life, his equipment, his animals. God tapped him on the shoulder. He burnt everything he owned through a feast for his friends and his family, and he went. He chased after Elijah. It's amazing. I just question you now, because everybody here, I'm sure, can think of something that's holding them back from being 100% all in. And picture that in your mind, because I, I just think maybe God is saying to us this morning, Elisha burnt his possessions and feasted on his animals and went all in. And for us, obviously, we're not going to burn our possessions, maybe not, and eat all our cats. But I think uh, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? Um, I just think, actually, there is something we can take from that, and I just question question you that this morning. Because that is what it's all about, isn't it? That's what this heroic faith is. I don't know if you've picked up that theme yet. You, you, hopefully you have. Um, heroic faith, that is 100% all in. Week in, week out, we've heard, haven't we, from... Uh, from all the speakers so far, different characters who have been 
all in and they've done uh, some amazing things. And if, you, if you've missed a week, I'd encourage you to listen to one. I listened to Nathan's the other week. I wasn't around for Nathan. He's a great communicator, isn't he? He's fantastic. I spent a year with Nathan shadowing him as an intern. Fascinating guy. Very funny. And so the story goes on, and uh, Elisha's with Elijah. Um, and, and historians, scholars, people who uh, study this for a living, they reckon that Elisha was actually with Elijah for 10 years um, Ten years they were together, and Elisha was Elijah's intern, his apprentice. He would follow him around. He would, um, he would, he would do all sorts. He would. Uh, I mean, I spent two years as an intern, and I can tell you that you get quite a unique view of things um, as an intern. Joe will be able to back me up as this, but if you've been an apprentice or an intern, you'll know that you. Uh, like I say, you see things from a different point of view, and I remember making, I must have made so much tea and so much coffee. Like every hour, literally every hour I knew, would anybody like a tea or a coffee? Oh yes, someone would love a tea and a coffee. And, but no one has tea or coffee, everyone has their own drink, don't they? they? Everyone has their own specific drink, some bizarre drinks. Karen Beach has a weird drink, ask her about that. She has like half a mug of milk microwaved, and then added to that, with some ready-made coffee poured into the top to, what, to make what I can only think is the closest thing to a latte you can get without having an actual coffee machine to make a latte. But it's interesting because Elisha would have had to have uh, done that kind of thing. He would have spent time with Elijah and, and, uh, and not only that, because you, you have these tedious moments as an intern and apprentice, but also you have these amazing moments where God kind of breaks through into situations and and uh, you see him at work through whoever it is you're shadowing, or you see him break into sometimes even to your own life in scenarios that you may be put through. And so that must have been the same for Elisha. He must have been witnessing some tedious stuff, but also some amazing things that Elijah was doing as he followed him around, literally followed him around these, um, these places. And um, he spent 10 years doing that, and what he must have learned must have been quite, quite a lot, I'd say. And so we come to this second, this next passage that I want to read to you. And I think this next passage, tune in now because this dialogue is amazing. It really is. It's fascinating. It's, uh, it's one of the most interesting sections of dialogue, I think, in the Old Testament, um, for sure, because of just <laughs> the way it goes. It's quite funny. Um, second Kings chapter 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah said to Elisha, oh sorry, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Such a snappy response. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. 
the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elisha took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah and Elisha, uh, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will, be not, it will not be yours. And so we have Elisha here. After 10 years of being with Elijah, a farm boy who burnt all his possessions, his, all his animals, being offered, uh, having the offer on the table of anything really he wants, um, I, think that, I, I think that's basically it. Elijah is saying to Elisha, what can I do for you? I, you've seen me do some amazing things. What can I do for you? This one last thing, you've been with me 10 years. What can I do for you? And Elisha doesn't request an earthly inheritance. Rather, he says to Elijah, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. He wants a spiritual inheritance. And you know that treasure in heaven stuff that we heard about in, in the Matthew series. We probably had a, a whole sermon on it. Um, I think this is an example of living it. Elisha doesn't want Elijah's wealth, reputation, or fame. He wants his spiritual anointing. I just, I just struck by that. I just think, how many people would actually ask for spiritual anointing rather than just earthly gifts and treasure? And Elisha just says, no, I want your spiritual anointing. I want treasure in heaven. As they were walking along together, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. That's a cool way to go. Elijah saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. There's so much we can take from that passage. But there's a couple of things that really stood out to me that I want to, want to focus us on. Isn't it fascinating that after 10 years of being with Elijah, Elisha still wants to he still wants to stay with him. He, uh, I just can't, I can't picture that, to be honest. Just 10 years of following this man around, and he still wants to stay with him. He still wants to be by his side. It's fascinating, isn't it? 
And it even says in verse 11 that while they were still talking together, Elisha still learning from Elijah, Elijah is taking from him. So still talking, still learning, still has this desire and drive to learn as much as he can before Elijah is taken. He's still desperate to stay by his side and still talking, and then he goes in quite dramatic fashion. He goes. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is when you find yourself surrounded by strong faith, and you'll know who those people are in your life, I think just just don't let go of them easily. Because Elisha didn't. He, he wouldn't leave him. And I know from my own personal experience that when, I, when I'm surrounded by people who have strong faith, that my own faith is better, my own spiritual life is better. And I, I think that's actually, for my own personal life, I think that's just great advice to myself, and I hope that's good advice to you as well. Hebrews 12.1 says this, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It speaks of this great cloud of witness, doesn't it? <laughs> but what does it actually mean? I, I think that means the people who you just thought of when you think strong faith, that, that's who that passage is talking about. Yes, it's, it's talking about heroic faith and all the characters from the Bible, but you know those people that you just thought of who have strong faith, that's, that's what that's talking about. We're surrounded by people with strong faith. We put ourselves around people with strong faith. The people you're sat next to this morning, strong faith. Dan, Carl, uh, Andrew, your home group leaders as well. You know, when we surround ourselves with godly people, our own spiritual lives improve. That's just from personal experience. And I think Elisha found that as well. And that's why he just wouldn't, wouldn't leave Elijah's side. Elisha's yearning and desire for God actually resulted in, in him inheriting a double portion of Elijah's spirit as well. Um, pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> I just want to finish with one uh, final, final story from the life of Elisha. Um, it's one of, one of the miracles that you can read about. I have brought a book, actually. I, I know I've not spoken about any of the miracles that Elisha did this morning. Um, but this book is, is really good, actually. It goes into every single one. There's 17 uh, miracles um, that, that he performed, that God performed through him. If you want to read up about that, I'd encourage you to come and ask me about what, what that book's called and stuff. So... You can read into that. But there is one, one final story I want to talk to you about. And uh, the reason I want to talk to you about it is because I think it actually brings us full circle and it shows the, the results of um, Elisha's life. Um, it's a very powerful story. Uh, and we'll just read it now and, uh, yeah, and, and we'll see what you think because it's cool comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha, he's embedded in his role as prophet. He's, he's been doing a few miracles. He's, uh, he's on it, really. Um, 
and we come to chapter 6, starting at verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel, and after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. I mean, that's hilarious. Anybody else think that? Such and such a place? That's actually in the Bible. <laughs> Sorry. The man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, that's Elisha. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up, that's Elisha's servant. Note, Elisha's gone full circle there. He's, he's got a servant himself. It's kind of cool, isn't it? When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. It's Elisha. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that, th that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And the story goes on, and they defeat the army in quite a peaceful way, actually. But um, what I took from this miracle was, was amazing because... I think it teaches us that when we draw nearer to God, actually we see things that most people don't see. We see the unseen. Elisha uh, gets up one morning and his servant is freaking out, thinking he's about to die. And Elisha's like the most chill person there. He's like, <laughs> his servant says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? And Elisha responds, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Even when it all seems stacked against them, Elisha's at peace because he knows the Lord is with them. And he just knows. What I'm trying to say is that I think when you draw nearer to God, you chase after God 100% all in, you begin to see things that you potentially didn't see before. I, I, I don't mean that this morning we'll go out to the car park and we won't have cars, we'll have chariots of fire. Although that would be cool, wouldn't it? Dan's nodding. I think, it, actually, you know, we draw nearer to God and our heart starts to break for the things that break his heart. We start to see things that God sees and we start to see people the way that God sees people. And that's a cool illustration from Elisha, but I think the reality for us is very, very much that the closer we get to God, the more our hearts will break for the things that break his heart. And, uh, and I think the way... That that works is if we if we if we actually if we burn those things that uh, are stopping us from being a hundred percent all in. Because Elisha Elisha did just that, didn't he? 